0: Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox, The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to the debut of The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Yes, I do have another podcast called Naked Monday, and that's for all kinds of creative people. But I got to thinking the other day, I love thrillers. I love writing thrillers. I love reading thrillers. And I love speaking to thriller writers about their passion. What makes them tick? Where do they come up with the ideas and the like? So I thought, why not create a whole new podcast and thus the Thriller Zone. I want to say out of the gate, thanks for your patience as I am broadcasting from beautiful Lake Tahoe. And in the background, you're going to be hearing boats going by and people shouting and so forth and some construction. But, you know, I thought after a year of COVID, does it really matter? Everyone's kind of gotten adjusted to things in the raw. I really wanted to have my debut of The Thriller Zone to feature a thriller writer that is right there on the cusp of blowing up and i think we found her unfortunately she lost a dear friend and she has as you can imagine been feeling low and didn't really want to be on camera so we're just going to go with the audio version completely understandable and uh we're going to have a good time i do want to tell you about her though may cobb earned her m.a in literature from san francisco state university and her essays and interviews have appeared in The Washington Post, The Rumpus, Edible Austin, and Austin Monthly. Her debut novel, Big Woods, won multiple awards. And I think we're gonna see the same thing happen with her latest thriller, The Hunting Wives. A Texas native, she lives in Austin with her family. Please welcome my friend and yours, May Cobb.
1: Hey, David.
0: Hi, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yes, I'm sorry I'm not presentable um, to, <laughs> for video's sake. I, uh, yeah, wow, I, I can't get my eyes to quit being puffy. So,
0: well, first of all, um, thoroughly understand that I'm so sorry for your loss. I won't belabor the point, but I, I can't imagine what you're going through. So, know that our thoughts and prayers are with you.
1: Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. And you're in in San Diego, right?
0: Uh, That's where I'm based. I'm actually sitting right on the edge of Lake Tahoe right now.
1: Oh, nice.
0: It is. I thought San Diego was beautiful, but Lake Tahoe is breathtaking.
1: Isn't it, though? That's so great. I've only been there once, and I didn't. I, I actually was just, I just drove through, but I couldn't believe how pretty it was.
0: I hope. I want you to take this in the best way possible. It's going to sound maybe a little guyish. I, I don't mean the insult. <laughs> when I first picked up this book, Susie Spencer, by the way, our mutual friend. Thank you to Susie yeah. for introducing us. But she said, David, you want to read a book that you can't put down? I'm like, uh, yeah, hi. <laughs> <laughs> so I picked up and reached out to you and picked up The Hunting Wives and started reading. And I'll be honest with you. At first, I thought, this is a chick book. For right? sure. And, uh, and I'm reading, I'm like, which I got no problem with. I I grew up in a household full of girls and I'm married and I I love women. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, this is, I can see why gals would really love this book. And I'm like, I'm, you know, and I'll turn to my wife and I'm like, I think this is going to be good. I, let's see how it goes. And, and may I got, I don't know, a third of the way in and I'm like, oh boy. And I got a little bit further. I'm like, oh oh boy. (laughs) And you had me hooked.
1: Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. And thank you, Susie, if you're listening. Uh, David, thank you. That is the biggest compliment ever.
0: Well, I mean it. I, I, I thought, you know, the lipstick and the bullets on the front, that gets your attention. I don't care if you're a guy or a gal. And,
1: <laughs> and, then,
0: and then the quotes, the people that are talking about it. I want to read this one quote that is my number one favorite. A.J. Finn, author A.J. Finn says, And I'm abbreviating it just a bit. In a cocktail shaker blend Big Little Lies and Lucy Foley's The Guest List and add a jigger of the Stepford Wives.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was very grateful for that blurb from him.
0: You can't ask for much better than that, can you?
1: No, I was so grateful. I really was. When that one came through, I was like, wow, because I... um, I'm a big fan of Woman in the Window. Uh, and and it's, it was the thriller I was reading as I started writing this one, actually. Um, so, yeah, I just, yeah, that's a, that's, those are very nice comps.
0: <laughs> well, let's start with the, the classic question that probably everyone asks you. Being a writer myself, I find myself asking some of the same questions because it's human nature. And that is where in the world did this story come from?
1: That's such a great question. Yes. Um, long story short, it came from my mom. I was up I'm in Austin now, but I was up visiting her in East Texas where the story set. And um we were driving the backcountry roads one day, and she goes into this story about when she's in high school in the mid-sixties in Longview, Texas, and she says there was something called the hunting party and it was basically sort of the rich upper-class popular guys. And they would invite people out on the weekends into the woods and they would sit on the hoods of their giant cars with shotguns and shoot at little game and rabbits and stuff. And my mom went once and she was like, Ooh, I didn't know that's what was going to be going on. And as she was telling me this, I was like, wow, that, that could really go wrong so many ways. And It just, I immediately started thinking that's a novel and um, I was going to set it in that era and then I, I've been working on a nonfiction book forever and it's so research heavy and I was like, no, I don't want to have to do any research right now. So I, I knew I wanted it to be in modern times and then very quickly I thought, ooh, I want to make it an all-female shooting club and sort of turn the tables on the stereotype of the men's hunting weekend and the boys club and men getting to behave badly. I really wanted women to have a space um, and an opportunity to behave badly. And I, I kind of got carried away. I think but um, (laughs) that's where it came from, was from her. And that, that little story she told me.
0: Yes, you did get carried away and the girls are very, very naughty. (laughs) What I love is the way that you capture the sultry, sticky summer heat of Texas. Your atmospherics, for lack of a better term, is what really pulls me in because you can and and you don't belabor the point. That's one thing I love about this book. You don't you don't get super heavy handed and 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 go deep on big, long winded descriptions. Uh, one of the things I love about this book is that you're it, it's written in kind of a staccato line, many lines, fast pages and. The way you pull the viewer in, the reader in, with the atmosphere, uh, the dripping cocktails, the moisture on the glass, and the steamy heat. I mean, it, it's some of my favorite parts of this story.
1: Oh, thank you so much, David. That's such a huge compliment. I really um I'm kind of obsessed with the weather up there because I'm in Austin and it's, it's definitely humid right now, but um, East Texas has its own very sticky, hot climate. And um, yeah, it was just, it was fun to sort of to write that. And I, and thank you for saying that the writing's good because as many compliments as I get, it's more about, Ooh, this was so, salacious and sexy and I'm like yeah but I also tried to write pretty sentences so thanks for noticing
0: (laughs) well and you know what I I bookmarked I don't do this very often but I bookmarked one simple tiny little line which is moderately atmospheric but it's the line giant trees surf past us cut by the strobe of fluorescent street lights and for some reason that just got my attention um the trees surfing past me
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Maybe, maybe some of that is because I live in San Diego. And back to the weather thing. You know, in San Diego, uh, it's damn near perfect weather every single day of the year, which is yes, yeah, part of the glory of living there. But I grew up in uh, North Carolina and uh, spent a lot of time between Winston-Salem and Charlotte and the mountains of Asheville. And when summer rolls in, especially come August... Uh, as I used to say, you might as well be walking around in a dry cleaner bag because that's what the this <laughs> feels like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's so perfect. Yeah. I imagine it's very similar to East Texas. It's the South. It's, um, yes, it gets so, <laughs> that, okay, that's the best description I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> well, and you know what? It makes me not It makes me not miss that part of the country. I do have a question. Are you a are you a gun fan? Are you a skeet shooter yourself? Do you are you familiar with shotguns, et cetera? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not a big gun fan, but however, growing up in East Texas, my dad and my granddad were hunters, and they, you know, always had like a deer lease or a hunting lease. And my dad took me a few times and. Actually, my first time I shot a gun was my father took me to a a turkey shoot where you shoot at a target and you know if you hit it you you win and I actually won and I was like four or five years old. It was like the greatest day of my life and um, (laughs) um, and then I did do some skeet shooting out on a friend's land. I was quite young too, probably like six seven years old. Which looking back, I'm like, man, that was pretty young. But I'm very much like Sophie, the main character. I hated the way the shotgun kicked. And so I, um, (laughs) I did not like it. So I, I, that was pretty much the end of my, my gun career. And uh, yeah, we, you know, it's guns were definitely a part of life in East Texas, but I, I, I don't own one now. And I'm, you know, of course, very much against gun violence and stuff. And I, I can't believe this country's gotten to the, to the depths of hell it's gotten to with the whole gun thing. Um, and no one in my family really hunts anymore. That was just, I think it was really part of that era. Um, so yeah, I mean, I did learn a lot about gun safety oddly enough by growing up and my dad showing me that, you know, the ins and outs. Um, but yeah, just never a big, I always wanted to be an, an archer. So I, I was the, I was the nerd with the bow and arrow at summer camp. Um, sure.
0: And it's so much quieter, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's quieter and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more of a quiet writer type than a, than a gun, a gun person. Um,
0: you mentioned the lead character, which she is, she is quite a piece of work. You, you love <laughs> the beginning. Then she feels like a hot mess and she unravels and then she pulls it all together near the end. And I won't, I don't, I want to be careful not to spoil anything, but she really is quite a character, Sophie O'Neill. And I wondered, of course, it's percolating up in my mind. All right. Who is May most like? Cause you know, everyone always says, Oh, you authors, you're always writing about yourself somehow. And I'm like, is she Sophie or Margo or Jill? <laughs> I mean, who are you most like, May?
1: <laughs> definitely not Margot, although I wish I could be. <laughs> um, yeah, I would definitely say I'm probably on the Sophie spectrum in terms of, you know, being able to get bored and restless, but not act in those ridiculous <laughs> ways. Right. Um, I, but I definitely. Um, that restlessness, I definitely wanted to tap into that because I'm a mom, my son is eight, and when I when I started writing the novel, he was five, and, you know, I love my kid, we have a wonderful life, everything's great, but there, <clears throat> there is sort of this sort of insane pressure on women, I think, in particular, to be happy and to present yourself as very happy on social media all the time. And I, I just think not enough is discussed about how like monotonous and boring motherhood can be even right. for the modern woman. And, um, and I think for the modern woman, you know, we've come so far and we can have the career and we can have the, the family and have it all. So there's, there is like, okay, what are you whining about? <laughs> and Sophie, I just, I sort of, like as, as a wish fulfillment thing. Well, I knew I wanted to write a novel about someone's life that goes off the rails because I love those books and I love those films. And I just wanted to let Sophie ask the question, like, what if, what if I follow my darker impulses versus repressing them? And I wanted to see how that played out. So it was very much like a of a personal quest but in in a way you know in a very safe way because I'm just at my keyboard (laughs) (laughs) but I really did try to do some method acting and get into her head and not approach her so much as a character as you know okay I'm with her on this journey and how far will she go but but that's how I like to write anyway I really like it to be intuitive and organic and if I don't feel the voice really then I can't tell the story so yeah, I think I'm guilty as charged. There's some
0: Sophie in me. <laughs> and, you know, back to your, uh, I'm going to call it humanity. It's the little things that are scattered throughout. It's easy to tell that you're a mom. The talk, uh, the mentions about Jack, the son, Sophie and Graham's son, and the little things, the smear of chocolate on his cheek, the way that she piddles around in the garden, the way she, the kind of the metaphors for she's digging these holes which is kind of her life she's planting things which is her way to stay grounded she is in the end i feel like you know she her garden is her where she plants her hope and it's just it's those slices of humanity that of real life that make your characters so real i don't feel like sophie is a caricature of the troubled television housewife that I just feel like you know she, <laughs> she's in love with her drop dead gorgeous husband who is the means the world to her, and she just kind of took a slippery slope and slid down it and kind of went with it, and without messing that up for readers, she you know dabbles in different things that uh, was off her beaten path.
1: Yes, I and I love that you say that her garden is grounding to her. That's that is the metaphor. I didn't even realize I was setting up, but she. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, she had this sort of the rootless childhood with her mom moving her from town to town and the dad abandoning her. So she definitely isn't just wired like a normal, solid person. And she's always craved, you know, the bad boy. And in this case, it's the bad girl. And um, yeah, I just I I thought it would be fun to watch her life implode. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, mission accomplished, May. And you know one thing I hadn't really thought about, and maybe it's my lack of reading or my naivete, but it was interesting, and now that you've kind of let a little bit of the cat out of the bag, it was interesting to me how she is clearly loves her husband, clearly loves married life, but has this piece of the past that is referred to by this other dalliance from younger years that she is inquisitive about and it uh, wants to keep it so hidden. It's so funny how she wants to keep it hidden from her husband, but she's pretty outspoken. Otherwise that was interesting to me.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's almost like she's not aware of it in a lot of ways and not um, certainly wants to keep the front up for Graham that, you know, as open and as close as they are, you know, she doesn't, she probably I think she's just sort of figuring out, figuring it out herself. Like, oh wow, this side of me that I didn't know existed, or that I thought it existed—you know—a little in college. Now it definitely does. But she wanted to explore it in private and not, yeah, with him. I think because yeah. um, that—that's a whole different conversation. Then it's like, oh, oh well, then can I watch or something? Sure. I don't know. Sure.
0: You know, it was, uh, I loved. The, you, I literally, I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to finish the book because I got the book late last week and I had so many things stacked up and I've got a few other items on my plate, but I, I really like to, as best of my ability, finish a book um, before I talk to the author. And uh, we drove up here And we had some work to take care of and I'm reading it last night and it's late and I'm tired and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I I really want to finish this. I woke up at like five 30 this morning, ran into the living room, poured some coffee. I said, I have to finish this book. It was just (laughs) part of it was to to be um, uh, loyal to you, but also I just could not put it down because here's why you're seeing this gal's life unravel and you're thinking to yourself, how much hot mess is she in that she's bringing this on herself and how much is the circumstances around her, uh, dictating otherwise. And just about the time that the police, uh, detective gets involved, you're like, you know, she, she's going down a dark hole. She ain't coming out from, (laughs) and that's why you're, and you just start ripping those pages and you're like, what the hell is going to (laughs) happen? (laughs) it.
1: That's great to hear. I'm glad I I, I wanted that I wanted the last third to be that way. so I'm happy to hear it was for you.
0: And take this as a great compliment. if if you feel like this is a giveaway, I'll, I will not air this. but I love the fact that it everything doesn't tie in up on a perfect little bow at the end.
1: No, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a spoiler at all. And I really appreciate you saying that because I, I wanted it not to. I, I, I wanted there to be some ambiguity and non-resolution because that's just really not how life works. It just works like that in the movies. And um, I, uh, it yeah, I had an early conversation with somebody about it and they said, you know, just sort of visualize at the end, well, yeah, I don't want to give too much away either, but it, it helped me to make it not you know, all wrap up because I I really did not, I I dislike it when that happens, unless it's so satisfying that it makes complete sense that it would. But in this case, she's such a complex character. So of course it's going to be a complex ending.
0: Yeah. And complexity is one thing, but you you said it best when you said that, you know, it's not real life because life is just messy. It's not always simple. It's always got layers of complication, which is why we, enjoy the drama, I suppose. And so if you had put the bows on everything, especially given her past and the anxiety that she went through, uh, as a reader myself, I would personally feel like, well, well, that's easy. However, without doing that, you walk away with a sense of, okay, good. She did; She was able to rescue some elements of her life. I'm appreciative of that. And yes, there are some scars in the wake to borrow a metaphor of the lake, but she, uh, you know, as cliche as it sounds like she's doing the best she can. And, and, and you, and the read here you go. And the reader at the end gets to kind of in their mind, like their own version of the movie decide, Hmm, this is what I think will happen next.
1: I like that. I really do. Especially the, the lake metaphor because you're at the lake and you got to read (laughs) the lake book by the lake. But no, I, I did. I, I I wanted the reader to be able to sort of, you know, like you said, draw their own conclusion. And if God willing, there's a TV series, it kind of leaves it open for other things. Um, Some people ask me if I'm going to write a sequel. No, but if it does get made, I would love to maybe be in the writer's room and that's a whole different tangent, but I, I wanted to give it enough of a, you know, open ending in a way. No, break. let's go
0: down that tangent because um, I am a, film, a a hobbyist filmmaker as well. So my mind is always wired for for uh, the visual medium, which is why I write in the style that I do so that you, and one of the compliments I receive, and I, I want to give this compliment to you is that as I'm reading, as I write my work, I write it as though I'm watching a movie. It's almost as though I'm dictating a lot of the scene work of a movie. And when I'm reading this, this, feels and I I want to say has anyone ever told you that this work feels has a feeling of a screenplay to it and do number question one question two is do you feel that's a compliment or a hindrance
1: well first of all thank you second of all now I really can't wait to read your work I wanted to read it before and now I really want to read it and that's so cool that you're also a filmmaker um I have heard that a, a few times that Well, I've heard people say that they feel like it's written for the screen. And I I take that as a high, as high praise because I am, you know, I lived in LA about 20 years ago and I worked for a director and, and an actress. And I, so I have a little bit of a film background and I, I'm constantly wanting to get into that world. And um, yeah, the Honey Wives, I, I can't go into too much detail, but it has been, options um for tv film and i uh, i think it would be a great limited series i feel like that's that would be a good scope for it um like a six to eight you know episode series and uh yeah i i definitely like in screen in screenplays i love that you know there's there's like the tip of the iceberg what you see on the page and then what can live in the imagination and I like to try to write like that, like give enough, but also let the reader breathe and and imagine too. And um, and, and I think we're probably very similar because when I'm writing, I do I visualize the whole thing, like sure. like I'm a movie too.
0: Well, first of all, um, I- I'm glad you take it as a compliment because I remember I was sharing one of my stories with an agent in Los Angeles and she was skimming it and she said, yeah, it feels kind of like a screenplay. And she kind of kind of brushed it off. And I'm like, yeah, but that to me is my style. And since then, I've to- talked to many readers and they say that's what they love about it because they instantly, it helps them ease into the mental setup to see it as a screen work. And yes. Um, I think back to your earlier point, I think it's, you know, I remember the days when everything was 12 and 13 episodes and those, those days are great. And I love those, uh, for what they are, but you know, a show like, um, mayor of Easttown comes along, which is just a brilliant mini series. And she wraps the whole show up and it's either four, I think it's six episodes. And I think to myself, it's such a really tasty amount of material because a lot of times what I'm finding even in this binge-worthy atmosphere that we're in, that sometimes someone has a great story and they stretch it and they stretch it and they stretch it. I won't name any particular, but there was a very popular show, <clears throat> Nicole Kidman, uh, that came out recently. <laughs> God bless. it. I was like, could you just get this series over with from the standpoint of, and I liked it, that you felt like, you know, this should have been a 44-minute script And you decided to go an hour 10. And you have it as a, we'll call it a 12 episode. And this could have been wrapped at about an eight. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Those are all my observations. Now back to your book. I would love to see this as a four to six episode. I think you've got, I think your character, Sophie, is so intriguing. She's so every woman and she has enough of a heroine, a heroine that we really hang on to, but she's also, I'm gonna keep using the phrase hot mess, she's just enough of a mess that you go, yeah, yeah, kind of what I like about her. She's, she's <laughs> effed up, you know, see?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's entertaining when they're a hot mess. Um uh I need to watch mayor of East town. I've heard so much about it. I just haven't had the time with launch and everything, but that's like on my uh, bucket list. And by bucket list, I mean like what I want to have happen immediately. So that everyone, so it's as good as everyone says.
0: Young lady, this is probably one of the best series I've seen in a while because it's, it's, it reminds me of your work because it's so layered, richly layered in realism And, um, oh my gosh, I just dropped her name. Actress, the lead actress.
1: Is it Kate Winslet?
0: Yes, thank you. Hi.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) Kate Winslet, that's, in my opinion, this is the best performance I've ever seen her do. And she is a grandmaster actress. But this is just, she just, she crawls inside this character and absorbs it so well and so believably. You don't see any little, yeah, I'm kind of really drop dead gorgeous, but I'm trying to look like a tattered housewife. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, 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 totally. Yes.
0: Just to toot my own horn a little bit. So my very first novel that I wrote, I didn't know how to write a book. I knew I was a secret, like a closet writer,
1: mm-hmm. but I,
0: I, I wrote this book. It was kind of family drama, faith based. Having grown up in a Christian home, it was kind of a, a, a logical thing for me to do. Long story short... A friend of mine and I wanted to do a project and I've made short films for decades now. I went and raised the money and directed it and produced it and turned it into a film and it's you know it's on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Oh wow. It's one of those things that that is my dream. That is my dream since as far back as I can remember to write a story and then see it come alive on screen. What's I, it
1: called so I can find it?
0: This is called Chasing Grace.
1: Okay. Ooh, I love it already.
0: Since we're sharing, if you where to want to read my latest stuff, my series of Detective Pat Norelli, and the reason I think you'd like it is because uh, I had never written a lead character as a woman, and I know this is interviews about you, so I will pull it back very quickly. No, no, no. <laughs> but I'd never written a lead as a as a woman, and I, I was kind of scared that I could that I wouldn't be able to do it. First book was the Poser, and the new one comes out July first, which is the Imposter, and it picks up her story one year later.
1: Oh, great!
0: So that. Yeah tooting of my horn, done. I say that to encourage you. I, I, oh my goodness. I hope the universe smiles at you and lets you, I hope this does get optioned and actually produced, which are two different worlds, as you very well know, having been. Yeah. The- By the time I finish this, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, this is going to be on television. <laughs>
1: <Good. That's, laughs> thank you so much. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Oh, hell yeah, girl. <laughs> I'm trying to get my Texas accent. I'm I'm,
1: I'm pretty impressed. Oh, hell yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know that we're we're a little squeezed on time. How much more time do you have?
1: I can do like another 5-10 minutes. Is that good?
0: That's perfect, perfect. Cuz I wanted to ask you, how does and I'm and I apologize for not having read The Big Wood yet. I know that was your first your debut novel. Uh, can you tell me for uh, for my listeners too, how does this differ? How does the big woods differ from the hunting lives?
1: It's funny. That one is actually out of print. And so I'm trying to work on, I have the rights back, but it came out from a small press that went under Midnight Inc. And um, so it's only available as an audiobook book um, on Amazon right now, but it is it's different in that uh, it's it's similar in that it's set in east texas in the same town and but it's different because it's got like a uh, one it's two narrators one of them is 14 years old and one of them is 75 years old it's the story it's it's set in the 80s around the era of the of the sat- satanic panic do you remember that crazy time in oh
0: my god yes
1: yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of got Stranger things and Twin Peaks vibes to it. And it's about a young girl that goes missing, and everyone believes she's dead because other children in the area went missing years ago and they were believed to have been killed by devil worshipers. And anyway, everyone believes she's dead except for her older sister, who starts having dreams about her and believes the dreams are messages. So she sets out to find her young sister. And then there's a widow across town, the 75 year old narrator, who has a secret, one of the town's secrets, and she's got to find, like, the courage to come forward with it to help find little girls. It's not as, uh, well, it's not as X-rated, for one thing. It's not, it's G-rated. Um, it's very dark, though. It's almost a little bit more in the horror genre, maybe like folk horror, I think.
0: Well, you had me at Twin Peaks and Screams. <laughs> come on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I love it. I actually wrote, um, I wrote a pilot with my very best friends uh, and we're, we're trying to get that, you know, shopped around. So I, because I love stranger things too. And I, I tried to really, it's got some, you know, some of the sort of same paranormal stuff that both twin peaks and stranger things has, but um, the whole thing propelling it is, is the little girl still alive because she did get kidnapped, but no one, You know, no one saw her get taken, and I don't want to give too much away, but that's the setup of it, and it's in the deep east Texas woods again, and there is a real place in Longview, my hometown, called Big Woods, and growing up there, it was rumored that devil worshippers hung out there, and my friend's stepdad drove us out there because he had some land out there, and there was definitely like... (laughs) I don't know if he planted this stuff, but there was like fire rings and spray painted upside down pentagrams and things like that. Um, As a 10 year old, I was very scared, but I uh, he's also the same man that took us snipe hunting. Do you know what that is? No. It's basically um, adults that want to trick children and they take them out at night and they go hunting for snipe, which are just fictitious things. And so you're just out there waiting like a fool in a pasture for a Snipe, which don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if the rumors were true or not, but they definitely, you know, someone who grew up watching Children of the Corn thought they were <laughs> and bought into it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, in, in our last minutes, I want I want to mention two things that I find yeah. oddly coincidental. I spent the hottest summer of my life In Longview, Texas.
1: What?
0: Right in between high school and college. My grades were pretty good, but I needed a little boost over to to, to be better, to be placed better in a better school. And my parents, somewhere along the line, I got wind of a a school called Laterno College.
1: I knew you were going to say that. Yes.
0: So I went to Laterno College in the summer of 77, 78. It was hotter than hail times 10. And I, it was a great experience. I think, I think Laterno or something to do with Longview has to do with the gentleman who invented the Caterpillar trackers.
1: That it sounds very plausible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I thought that's interesting. We have that shared dynamic.
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. Not a lot of people know about Longview and yet it seems to suck people in and it sucked you in. That's so funny. So Yes, it is the hottest summer. It's like, you know, I, I. it's it's crazy how hot and humid it is there. So I'm glad you experienced that.
0: Yeah, well, I couldn't help but reflect on that as I was daydreaming of this. While reading this book, I'm daydreaming of crossing that campus in the middle of summer and thinking to myself, okay, if there is a hell, it can't be this hot. <laughs>
1: Uh, and it, that's so funny because Laterno's like such a you know it's pretty religious school, so to to call it hell that that's just funny to me.
0: Um. <laughs> well, girlfriend, you haven't even got me started because as a PK preachers kid, I everyone knows that the PKs are the worst because they're hanging out with the deacons kids. <laughs> my other point of contact on page two ten, I find it so interesting, and I'm and I literally my wife is working yesterday afternoon. Her feet are propped up on the couch. I look up and I said, Oh my God, Looney, my wife's name is Tammy. I said, Tammy, check this out. And on page 210, you know what? If you got time, I'm going to pull it up because it's only one quick sentence. Yes. So he's, so uh, Graham says, Well, guess it's just me and Dwell tonight, then. He said, Fact, Fake pouting, slid the architecture and design magazine off the nightstand and shifted two pillows under his neck. Why is that funny? <laughs> my wife used to work for Dwell magazine. What she used to be one of the uh, coordinators and sales managers, and that's actually how we met. We that is crazy. Okay, she's living in San Francisco where you yeah. went to grad school.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, she moved to New York was doing a Dwell show. I'm living in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'll make this very fast. I call a friend. I said, let's drive up to New York. I want to see this Dwell show because I was a Dwell whore, (laughs) girlfriend. I had every single magazine, anything to do with Dwell. We drove up there. The show sucked. I bump into this girl. I'm sitting in the lobby waiting for my friend and I to leave. And she approaches from behind. and She goes, so what'd you think of the show? And without thinking, I turned and I said, this show sucked balls, excuse my language. (laughs) She started laughing. She comes around the couch. She goes, oh, well, thank you. I'm Tammy Scott. Uh, and this is my show. <laughs> I proceed to insert the foot into large mouth. Long story short, she says, I'm sorry you hated this. Let me hook you up with the tickets to an L.A. show, which I'm sure you'll be happy. It comes up later next year. We keep in loose contact. Half a year later, I go out there. I go to the show. It's the most spectacular Dwell show ever in existence. I thank her. She gives me a kiss on the cheek goodbye. I walk away. I'm smitten then. Within months, I'm packing up Charlotte. I moved to New York and we've been together ever since.
1: Oh my God, that's the best story ever. I love it. That is great. She, she, I don't know. It must have been love at first sight because the way you put your foot in the mouth. I mean, she just, she got over it immediately and-
0: (laughs) She's a tough cookie. She doesn't wear a lot of stuff on her sleeve. She says it like it is. And she loves that about me. And I didn't mean to turn this into a romance story. But no, I, I love it. I
1: love that story. That's so funny, though, about Dwell.
0: I know you have to run. I thank you so much for joining me. I'm sorry that we couldn't. I couldn't see your beautiful face. But I understand the recent loss of your friend. And our thoughts and our prayers continue with you. And you're just a delightful, talented woman. And I can't wait to speak with you again.
1: Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. This was such a blast.
0: Yeah. And I, I have a funny feeling you and I could sit here and just talk for hours.
1: Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. I'm so glad that Susie connected us, honestly, because I just, yes, you're such a hoot. And I'm, yeah, I, I can't wait to read your work. And wow, I just, uh, this was such a joy. I, I really, in, in such a sad time, I, I, I mean, you heard me laughing. So thank you <laughs> Yes, yes, for making my day brighter.
0: Can you leave me with anything that's uh, coming next for May Cobb fans?
1: Yes, I am finishing up edits on my next thriller, which is another sort of sultry, salacious um, adults behaving badly thriller set again in hot East Texas. And it is about three lifelong friends, women who now live in you know, kind of on the same block where they grew up and they're all at different stations in their lives. And um, a mysterious, handsome stranger moves into town and takes up residence in the biggest mansion. And each of the women become fascinated by him and then obsessed and their lives, like spiral. Not a spoiler alert, but he's not a good person. <laughs> so that's that's the next one. And it'll be out next May, I believe. That's what I've heard um, tentatively.
0: Perfect month matches. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> well, I hope that readers will get a hold of that because they can get all hot and bothered, just like this last one with the hunting wives.
1: <laughs> I love the accent, David's perfect.
0: You're awesome. Thank you so much. I know I've run out of time. So you hang in there, kid. And um, I wish you tremendous success. I thank the world of you.
1: Thank you so, so much, David. And please say hi to Tammy and enjoy your time in Tahoe.
0: Thank you, ma'am. Take care now.
1: Okay. You too. Bye-bye.
0: What a sweet gal and a killer talent. Learn more about May at maycob.com And of course, pick up her thriller, The Hunting Wives. Special thanks to Susie Spencer for introducing us. And I want to say thank you so much for joining me on this debut edition of The Thriller Zone. I promise to do my best to introduce you to the best thriller writers from around the world. Also want to say thanks for your patience with the technical challenges of being on the road and having lots of background noise. In closing, I want to say a special thanks to West Shore Market for their terrific sandwiches and Tahoe House for keeping us fueled with the best coffee around. I'm David Temple. I'll see you next week.